Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spawn Daily. I'm your host, Jace. Going to do things a little bit differently today. Now, originally, what we were planning on doing was reading the whole entirety of the main Spawn series. But what I've discovered as we're approaching issue 50 now is there's a lot of things that happen in other titles, uh, other Spawn spinoffs, one-shots, miniseries, what have you, that really affect the the main story and it was especially obvious when rocky and i had talked about how spawn's face was split in half and he had to have it sewed up by this dirty shoelace and that shoelace has remained you know for years for like two years worth of issues always assuming that uh it's because he got shot in the forehead which never made sense that it would have split his face down the middle but then i took a look at a reading order And I discovered that, hey, in the Spawn-Batman team-up, Spawn buries a Batarang right down the middle of, uh, or Batman, rather, buries uh, a Batarang right down the middle of Spawn's face. And that has everything to do with why his face has been split in half for so long. And so I started thinking about, well, maybe we should think about looping in some of these other these other areas instead of just doing you know the main series but the problem is there's a lot there's a whole lot and if we do that it's going to take us past the one year and i definitely want to end uh i want to get up to the end of spawn or i want to get up to when spawn universe was released the the spawn universe one shot that mcfarland feels launches his uh, his kind of connected spawn universe. So, like I said, I went looking for some reading orders. I found one by a guy named Blake Whitlow. It's by far the best one out there. I looked at several of them. Uh, I'm going to put a link to the show notes for the Google Doc where you can go check it out yourself. Um, and I am going to loop in. I'm going to go back. We're going to pause the regular issues for now. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to fill in a lot of the stuff that was that happened already. You know, like we're going to go check out the Young Bud issues where Chapel uh, died. We're going to go check out uh, the Violator miniseries, like we talked about possibly doing the Angela miniseries. So we're going to check out a couple of those. But what I'm going to do is I'm not going to go issue by issue with those. I'm going to combine them together. Like I'll just do one episode on the Violator miniseries, one episode on the Angela miniseries. And eventually I'll probably do those. Like those are going to be separate. They're going to be their own podcast. But eventually I'm hoping to get to the point where if I put out one of those episodes that's not necessarily the main Spawn series, I'll still put out a Spawn episode that day also. Um, I don't have it set up that way quite yet. I have it set up where everything ends uh, with that Spawn universe on New Year's uh, or on yeah New Year's Eve um, but a lot of the other ones are are mashed together. So we'll, we'll see how it, it all plays out. I don't know that I'll always put out another episode of Spawn, you know, because it takes a lot of time. Honestly, what takes the most time is going in and, and removing all the dialogue because um, we do want you guys to buy these books, right? I, I don't want to just, you know, talk about them and give my thoughts, but also put every single page up on the screen on YouTube like some people do because that's how you get your stuff taken down if somebody... Um, files a copyright claim because, you know, technically you don't have to go by the book if I'm showing you every single page and you can read every single word. Um, so that's what actually takes the longest, just a little behind the scenes. So anyway, like I said, uh, 
Thanks to Blake Whitlow for the incredible uh, reading order. I will put it in the show notes. You'll be able to check it out. Um, so that being said, uh, the books we're going to talk about today, again, I'm going to, I'm going to double up and these issues, according to the reading order, take place. These are the first issues that aren't like the regular spawn uh, series, right? These issues take place pretty early on and they have a lot to do with overt kill who, you know, definitely showed up pretty early in, in Spawn, you know, he debuted in, in issue number six. Um, so we, I already talked about Spawn Batman. That was probably, you know, the first non-Spawn, although it's still Spawn. Uh, but anyway, so that happened after issue 20. And then technically before the hunt starts with issue 21, we've got 23 and 24 here. And you'll see how they tie in, although it does take a little bit of like reading between the lines, I think. And you'll see what I mean as we, uh, as we get there. So yeah, basically um, if, if you were, if I were to do the reading order starting over, I would go, we would cover issues one through 20 and then we do spawn Batman like I did the other day. And then we jump to these two curse of spawn 23 and curse of spawn 24. So those are the books I'm going to talk about in this uh, particular issue or episode rather. So let me go ahead and share my screen so you guys can see fabulous cover there uh, from Dwayne Turner. Um, and you see, you know, the little kind of a glowing uh, emblem or glowing chess piece, I guess you'd say, or maybe it's his eyepiece um, from Overkill. That's probably what it is. Uh, and turning to the first page, we see the, uh, credits here. It's written by Alan McElroy. Pencils are by Dwayne Turner. He was pretty popular back in the 90s. Like he kind of disappeared. I don't know what happened to him, but he's he's a very talented um, artist and uses very, very fine lines. Uh, we've got inks by Chance Wolf, Todd McFarlane, with special thanks to Jason Gardner and Jonathan Glapion. Tom Orzakowski does the letters, Todd Broker and Mark Nicholas on, uh, on the colors. So, uh, it starts off and we're told that we're in Greenland. Again, you see some beautiful line work. Um, there's a, some Arctic wolves. There's a big giant moose. There's some guy on a snowmobile. He's talking about time, flesh, and shadows. And he pulls up next to this giant steel door that raises up. And we get our first look at him. And he, he like when I first saw this, I'm like, is this dude like a, a crow magnet or like partially... Um, like ape or something. Cause he, that's the way Dwayne Turner draws him, right? Like he's got kind of the bushy eyebrows, that real prominent brow definitely has that rounded um, bottom jaw sort of thing where like his, you know, top jaws long is, uh, extends out further than his bottom jaw. Uh, but we're told that his name is Dr. Alan Hessman and he's a genius, but also a monster. And that's also why I thought, well, is this guy something more than human? Um, but you find out that's not necessarily the case. And I don't know, it's just that one drawing because some of the other rendering of, renderings of him don't look that uh, that simian, I guess, that ape-like. Um, but anyway, on the following page, you can see Overkill hanging there from the ceiling, cybernetics, and you can see some of the, the flesh and whatnot. Uh, we're told he's a monster because he's lied, he's cheated, he's stolen, he's killed. And 
it's how it has to be because there aren't any choices. Love makes you do exceptional things. So I'm like, wait, love? What what the heck is going on with this guy? So he, uh, as a way of exposition, which I guess it's an interesting way to do it and a way that works for McElroy so that he can tell us without it seeming really hokey, um, this Dr. Hessman is making a recording of what he's doing. So he says it's day 463 and he's finishing up the final biomimetics and he can't help wondering um, if he's doing the right thing and he's tired and he, he's missing things that he ordinarily wouldn't miss. Um, but he's like, if this tape survives me, you'll, you'll understand and you'll forgive me. Right. We, we, again, we have no idea what this guy's up to. Right. It's like, he says, I've, I've helped people as a doctor and as a surgeon limb repair. And, and, you know, that was his expertise and why he went into robotics. Um, but none of that could save his father. Uh, we're told that his, uh, his father was a very good man. And after his mother was killed by a drunk driver, him and his father were very close, went to baseball games and museums. And then he uh, contracted ALS. His dad had Lou Gehrig's disease and his body kind of wasted away. And this doctor, he was already on his way. This Hessman was already on his way to becoming a doctor. And he was a resident at the time. And he really dedicated himself to um, the medical profession, hoping to find a way to rebuild his father's body, come up with new techniques. And he, he learned all this stuff. But the, the technology wasn't at the level it needed to be at that time to save his dad. So he buried his father on New Year's Day. And he basically crawled into the bottom of a bottle. He was traveling around the world and just drinking and, you know, pretty much lost when uh, he was in uh, Cairo and this woman named Christina found him drinking in a back alley dive bar. And this woman told him that he had a brother that he knew he knew nothing about. And so basically this woman, Christina, had... Um, spent time with his father in Italy a year before his father met his mother. Um, and his dad returned to the U S and Christina never told him, didn't know how to find him. So his father, Dr. Hessman's father didn't even know that he had this other son, uh, that this Dr. Hessman has an older brother. And so they went looking for him because Christina had lost touch with them uh, as well. And what they found was that his brother had had a, a very hard life, um, kind of grew up on the streets and uh, fell in with the wrong crowd. And eventually he became uh, a killer. He was uh, a hired hitman for the Sicilian mob. He worked for a guy named Luciano Bartino and he was there uh, like the number one hitman. And on the day, on the day that this Dr. Hessman is going to meet his brother, he sees him across the piazza in Naples and he, he's walking towards them, and it's actually an ambush. And these members of a rival gang gun down his brother <laughs> right in front of him. Like this poor guy couldn't save his father, even though he's brilliant. He's a genius. The technology wasn't there to save his father. He's lost for years in the bottom of a bottle, finds out he has a younger brother or an older brother, rather, finally tracks him down. The moment he tracks him down, he gets gunned down. I mean, a little coincidental but pretty brutal. Um, and so he goes to the mob boss who this guy had worked for. And he says, Don Martino, uh, I'm the younger brother of your hitman, Nicholas Roca. 
and I can give them back to you. And this Don is like, what do I care? I got, I got a bunch of hitmen. Why I go through them like a shark goes through teeth. Why, you know, why do you want me to give you money to, to bring this guy back? Like, you know, I'm not going to waste the time. Um, and Dr. Hessman, uh, he says, he goes, I'm, I'm, I know robotics, right? I'm world renowned and I can make this guy your ultimate hitman. He'll literally be a killing machine. And there's another guy there in the room with Bartino. And it turns out it's uh, Don Gravano, Don Vito Gravano, uh, who eventually goes to New York and uh, becomes a thorn in the side of Spawn. And so this guy gives agrees. Don Bartino agrees. He says, okay, let me give you the money. This better be one heck of a killer. And so um, using the technology that he developed, that he that wasn't ready in time to save his father, uh, this Dr. Hesman turns his brother into overkill. But at least he had his brother. You know, at least he had him back and they got to spend time together. They played chess. Um, at, at times when he, um, his brother wasn't out on assignment, overkill wasn't out on assignment. Um, he could just be in his like normal uh, identity, I guess you'd say, of, of Nicholas, you know, the older brother of um, of Dr. Hesman. And they'd play chess and they'd talk. And Hesman is just so happy to have family back, right? Um, and then the scene shifts and we see him starting to put Overkill back together. Because remember, the last time we saw Overkill, Spawn had destroyed him with all that uh, high-tech weaponry that he stole from that army warehouse that eventually caused so many problems for for Terry Fitzgerald. So once um, that happened, when Overkill had been loaned to Don Vito Gravano in New York, and then he got destroyed, Gravano reached out to Dr. Hessman and said, you know, hey, doc, it's about overkill. We got a problem. And again, family means everything to Dr. Hessman. So, of course, he went running. And we get a, a page here of him crawling around on the, his hands and knees in that alley, you know, looking for every little piece of his brother so he can uh, so he can bring him back. So uh, that's what he's been doing in this lab in uh, in Greenland. So he'll be bigger, he'll be better, he'll be faster. So we get a couple of pages um, of him talking about pouring his heart and soul into bringing his brother back. And, uh, you know, he'll be bigger and more capable uh, than ever before. And so once he finally has him rebuilt, and he, he must add some kind of backup of his brain or whatever, um, and he, he activates him and he's sitting there talking to him saying, I won't lose you again. No more killing for hire. Uh, no more working for madmen. We're just going to, you know, go hide out and be free. And um, we're, we're retired. And he says, welcome back, Nicholas. And his brother, who, I mean, I don't know, maybe Dr. Hessman should have realized this. It's really sort of tragic. His brother's not, he's not all there yet. He, you know, he's still kind of amped up from the last thing he remembered being the fight and whatnot or whatever. So he just, he sees, unfortunately he sees his brother, Nicholas sees his brother or overkill sees his brother, Dr. Hessman as just an enemy. And he reach out and grabs his head and just literally pops and breaks it and, and uh, exclaims war. And we're told that overkill is dead, meet overt war and it's to be continued. So he's no longer even overkill anymore, which 
again, I know it doesn't make complete sense because we saw him return later in the issues of Spawn and he was still called Overt Kill. Um, but we'll get, we'll get to that. Uh, I can kind of explain it if you don't think about it too, too much. Um, but it's still really, really tragic. And it does explain why when we saw Overt Kill at the end of issue 20, why he was, or uh, at the end of issue seven, rather, why he was so messed up. And then when we see him again in the hands of the scientist that's working for Vito Gravano, he's in much better shape. Like he's almost all put back together already. He's in nowhere near the, the damage that he had when Spawn basically blew him into a million pieces. So it's a, it's a cool story to get Overkill's uh, origin. It's tragic in a way, but for me, where this issue really, really shines is the artwork by Dwayne Turner. I mean, this artwork is just stunning in detail. I love the panel layouts on the pages. The backgrounds can be kind of light at times, but I don't mind that because there's so much detail in the foreground. I mean, just look at the hands, the skin, um, the technology, the equipment. I mean, every single um, person in here, every time he renders uh, a main character, they're just exquisitely detailed. And uh, the sense of storytelling, the coloring, how everything was sort of muted, a lot of grays and blacks um, and the green of overkill isn't real bright either even the reds are more of a darker red it's not a real bright red so the the colors here are outstanding as well so i really really love the story i was glad that we got the origin of uh of overkill and it continues into issue 24 sort of because it says to be continued issue 24 takes a different tack with a different artist and it sort of ties in, but not necessarily in the way that you might think. But again, it ends up working, I think, really, really well. So uh, let's go ahead and take a look at, uh, at issue number 24. Again, really cool cover from Dwayne Turner. We see Overt War, I guess we'll call him there. Uh, let's go ahead and open it up and we'll take a look at the... Uh, the credit, so again, written by Alan McElroy. This time, the pencils are by Clayton Crane, which is pretty interesting. Uh, inks by Chance Wolf and Todd McFarlane. Special thanks to Jason Gardner. Uh, is that? Yeah, Jason Gardner. Sorry, I can't. It's not quite um, so small. Yeah, Jason Gardner. Uh, anyway, Tom Orzakowski on letters the same Todd Broker and uh, Mark Nicholas on uh, on the color. So the reason I kind of pause there with, um, with Clayton Crane is because if you're familiar at all with any of Clayton Crane's work, Clayton Crane's work um, from, you know, the past, uh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, you'll know him as a, as a digital painter. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't really do pencils anymore. So that's why it's so interesting to me to see that he's the penciler. I don't know before this that I'd ever seen his pencils. I mean, I, I must have at some point. Um, but yeah, I was, I was blown away by these pencils. Um, and if you're not going to have Dwayne Turner, who, you know, like we said, last issue has a ton of, um, of detail 
then why not have Clayton Crane, who also gives us a ton of detail, very similar style, actually, in terms of penciling. Uh, I mean, when Clayton does his digital painting, that's a totally different animal. And it's still really fantastic and beautiful, but it doesn't have the level of detail just because he can't, you know, necessarily get it um, with with kind of the digital airbrush style that he has now. Uh, but anyway, as the story starts, we're, we're told we're at UL21. It's a government-run hard security facility deep within the dark, sun-blistered heart of the Nevada desert. So it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's part of over 900,000 acres owned by the U.S. government, uh, and it hides, among other things, Area 51. So it's basically the most secure prison in the world, uh, crowning achievement of penology, um, the most advanced cage ever designed by man, we're told. Uh, and it's all to hold this one guy. <laughs> he's the only prisoner there. Uh, and he's the one who's narrating the story. And he talks about the reinforced walls and the razor wire and the electrified doors and they're, how they're watching his every move. And we see that he's, he's shackled to the walls at all times. He's got a camera on him. He's, um, he's naked. He's stripped. Uh, he gets no comfort. That's how afraid they are of him. And uh, he says there were, that he once used a pair of nail clippings that led to his escape. I don't know how that is possible. Like at first, I when I read it, I was like, "Oh, nail clippers!" But no, not nail clippers. Like, like nail clippings. So they must go in and clip his nails like every couple days and take the nails with them. Like, it doesn't seem. I don't know, but I mean, it's it's kind of funny and over the top. But at the same time, when you get into the story and you read how brutal this guy is, you start to believe. Well, maybe. Maybe he could use a couple nail clippings to, to escape. I mean, the guy is, he's something else. Um, and he's got, you know, really cool looking American flag tattoo on his back. And we're, he's, again, he's narrating. He says, my name is Jonathan Abel Unger, the man they call Pandemic, which that name obviously takes on a little bit of a different meaning, maybe a negative connotation with everything we've been going through in the world the past couple of years. But it's still a, a great name. Like when McFarl or when McElroy chose it for this guy, and you kind of understand. I mean, he is a brutal, brutal killer, and can definitely take out uh, plenty of people. Like just like a pandemic. So I, I don't know. I just, it's a cool name. Um, anyway, then we see him, and he's uh, he's doing some pull-ups, and he's talking about how uh, if you're going to survive, you have to have a goal. And he talks about setting his emotions aside years ago. And they keep him near starvation, but it's okay. He doesn't really need food. He doesn't need, really need sleep. He, he's developed this thing in his mind where he's built a fortress there, and that's where he really lives. It's inside his mind, and uh, he's very strong mentally. Uh, he's, he'll never run out of room. He'll always be free in his mind. Uh, he says, uh, he thinks, a truly focused mind can pull the moon down from the sky. He says, my father told me that. It's one of my earliest memories. So... Uh, he does get a little bit of uh, exercise every day. He gets to go for 10 minutes and walk in this circle. And he's told if he deviates from the circle, there will be a lethal response. And uh, he's remembering back to his childhood when he used to 
celebrate the 4th of July with his parents and whatnot. And he, even when he's walking in the circle, there's guards above him that are training laser rifles, uh, you know, rifles with laser scopes on them. That's how, that's how dangerous this guy is. And so he's talking about how growing up, he was very patriotic. That's why he mentioned the 4th of July and he wanted to be service to his country. So he joined the Navy and uh, he quickly rose to the ranks. He uh, became a captain of his own battleship and he served many, many proud years and um, being out there and defending the freedoms of the country made coming home that much sweeter. And um, he, it, it gave him a sense of purpose. And then he's taken back to his cell and the reminiscing is interrupted. And we see the, the glop glop of the food that he's given. Uh, it says it stinks of their fear. Um, but that alone is his, uh, his nourishment. So he talks about going to the VA hospital to see some of his former uh, commanders. And that really opened his eyes to how terrible the government treated the people that were giving their lives, that were sacrificing, that were you know, serving their country. And he says that he learned that his government is not our government, that there was something greater behind it, pulling the strings. The government was sick. You know, he's talking about like deep state stuff here. So he kind of gave into some paranoia. He said there was something heinous infecting our country. And when I went to my superiors to, at the Navy to confront them, spoke to the secretary of Navy, they shouted me down at every turn. You know, it's, some of it's paranoia. Some of it's probably true. Um, you know, there's always back black bag stuff and backwater dealings and this and that. Um, and, and for somebody as idealistic as the guy who would become penance, you can see how, you know, anything that's not, you know, taking care of the soldiers and not by the book and not completely according to the law that he would, he would turn against that. And so he, he said he became frantic and he started looking for clues and he felt that Kennedy's murder was when everything started and we all know about all the crazy conspiracy theories around JFK's murder. And eventually he got in to see the president. Um, but you know, at that point, everybody's thinking he's crazy. And so in order to, to shut him up, some of those black bag people, probably Jason Wynn, right. And his people, um, they decided to, to take him out basically and not just him, but his family too. So they killed his parents, which is just horrible. Um, you can see there, they, they burned his parents alive. Um, they killed his mom or, or uh, not, uh, they killed his parents, obviously. They killed his wife. Um, and you can see there when uh, it shows his wife in the, the car, um, you can see the regularly colored panels. And then you can see the, the reddish panels, which are the flashbacks, um, which I, I love the coloring in this book. It's so fantastic. Uh, but you can see above that scene that's that's overkill that's overkill that they sent to to wipe out his family so uh and then they then they tortured him and i don't know why they didn't kill him um but they oh here's why <laughs> i do remember now they they said uh, they said yeah before they caught me i took what i knew the terrible truth and i i made arrangements so that if i died if anything happened to me the truth would come out and as long as I'm alive, their secret's safe. Um, so they just drugged me and tortured me and tried to get me to, 
to tell them, you know, the plan, what I had set up where I'd hidden the information, but I wouldn't, wouldn't tell them nothing would break me. Instead, all this pain, all it did was, was make me stronger. So they ended up, you know, locking me away and throwing away the key. Um, but they forgot one thing that now they've taken everything from me and there's nothing more dangerous than a man who has nothing to lose. So of course I escaped and, uh, I tried, tried to, you know, find the truth and, and expose it. And I didn't feel bad for anybody that I had killed because in, in his mind, this is what he's saying. He's like, I, I didn't feel remorse because I was curing a disease by killing people that were a part of this disease system. But eventually they caught me and overwhelmed me because they have so many more men than me, but I escaped and I killed more people. And every time I killed somebody in their dying eyes, I saw my parents and my, and my wife and all my dreams uh, dying. You know, that's what they've done to me. But eventually, eventually they caught me again. Uh, and I was held for almost four months this time. But then I blew that place up and uh, escaped and killed more people. And so eventually they built this prison, the UL21, the strongest one. And I've been here for almost a year. Um, but I'm patient and they're afraid and I know I'll find a way to escape. Um, and on my file, they've codenamed me pandemic because what I know can destroy the entire world that they've built, you know, just like a pandemic. So again, really, um, really cool name, really cool flashback, great art, great coloring. Um, and you would think that these people would know better, right? Of how dangerous this Jonathan Unger is. But they don't. They don't know better. Uh, and they make a really, really stupid mistake. So he gets a visit from some black bag people. And they say, um, we can make your life better. How would you like to take out the guy who killed your parents and your fiance? I guess it wasn't his wife. It was his fiance. Um, and they... And they say, oh, by the way, did you know your fiance was five months pregnant? Who knows? Probably not even true, right? These guys are just scummy government black bag people that work for Jason Wynn. Uh, and they show him some footage. They show him some, some footage of Overkill attacking his fiance's car. Um, so basically what this shows is that, okay, sometime between the end of last issue and the beginning of this issue, Overt Kill, who's now over at war, who was rebuilt by his brother, is out there and the government doesn't have control of him anymore. And even though they had hired him at one point to take out Unger's uh, parents and fiance, and now they want him brought back in under the fold. So they ask Unger, hey, you know, you, you willing to do this? And so he says, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And they take all these precautions. You can see there how they have them all tied up, all these steel cables, and they put this mask on them and they've got them chained up in this like rectangular cage and they load them in the back of a plane and they're going to take them and basically drop him right on top of, uh, of overkill. And it, he, he looks pretty cool here with all caged up kind of, kind of like um, Anthony Hopkins in silence of the lambs, but dialed up to 11 in a, in a lot of ways. And so uh, he's there and he's thinking, I'm only one man, but I can imagine the hopes and dreams of, of all men and life and liberty. And 
I put all the pain and the physical and the mental images of my parents out of my mind. I think of my fiance and her smile and everything that she was and what she could have made and the life we could have made together. And I think of what she would have wanted. Um, and all I want to do is remove the stains and the lies and the deceit that have, um, that have infected this country. You know, I've spent years murdering people trying to get to the truth. Um, but maybe the truth is, is not something we can find, you know, maybe things aren't as black and white. So what's he going to do? That's, that's the question. Is he going to actually do what they tell him? I don't know why they would ever think so. So they fly him to New York. They see that we see Overt kill there, Overt Ward. He's, he's searching for spawn. That's the memory he has. Uh, spawn, kill, kill. And he's, uh, the police and national guard have uh, been dispatched and they've created like a, they've cordoned off an area and uh, there's a big patch of Manhattan that's lying in ruins and they, they drop this guy, right? My flying jail dips low over the city and they just drop him out the back. They drop the package uh, and they, at least they give him a parachute, right? Um, and so his first sight as a free man is this burning hell rushing up to meet him, we're told. So he lands, he, uh, he takes off um, some of the shackles he has on, he arms himself, he, and he, he looks pretty cool. I mean, he looked cool before, but now he looks even cooler that he has this army, or this armor, rather. Um, and he, he's like, I can't allow myself to think too much of the freedom that I have because my task is too great, he says. He's got to focus on the task. This is the beast that killed my parents, the monster that that uh, slaughtered my fiance. He's a, an instrument of, he's a dark machine. He's a, he's a death dealer like me. Um, so what, what's he going to do? What's, uh, what's ever going to do? So he actually approaches over war and he's thinking of his dad and his mom and his fiance. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to take this guy out with one shot. Uh, and if I fire at him, he's going to keep coming. Um, if I was smart, I would run, but the people that sent me know that I, I would never run because I'm not really scared of anything. Um, and he hears uh, overkill over and over saying, kill spawn, kill spawn, kill spawn. Um, so it gets him thinking. He's like, you, you want spawn? And overkill, to his credit, over war, actually, he, you know, hears this and he doesn't just turn on Unger and just attack him. Like, yeah, Spawn, I want Spawn. He's the one that did this to me. He's the one that made me kill my brother. So obviously over at war has regained some of his memories. You know, he I think when he woke up he was it was traumatic when he got rebuilt by his brother. It was traumatic and he lashed out and he killed his brother, but now he's come back to himself a little bit. You know, we saw before that he, he wasn't some mindless machine. It's a mindless cyborg, um, but he definitely wants Spawn. So when uh, Unger says, well, I know where Spawn is, over Overworld's like, where? Tell me. Like, he wants to know. That's all he's focused on. He's now lost the only thing that mattered to him. Um, and Unger says, oh, he's in this high-security government uh, prison in central Nevada. <laughs> and so what we see actually happen is that Overkill goes to LU-21. 
and he destroys the prison. He destroys the prison that was built to keep Unger shackled. Unger saw this as his way to escape. He never planned on taking out overt war. Um, and we're, we're told uh, on this last page here, he says, I, I love my country. I love America. I'm going to get it back. Unger hasn't given up hope that he can expose the secrets, that he can kill enough people to root out the corruption. Uh, and he, he says, this man or machine or monster, whoever this guy is that murdered my parents and my fiance, he isn't, he isn't to blame. He's just a weapon. You know, he, he, it was the guys that hired him and sent him out. Those are the ones, those are the people that I want. And so it's great to watch him destroy this prison because I know I'll never be caught again. Um, I will become what they named me, they codenamed me. I'll become a pandemic and I'm dedicating myself to the promise that I'm going to bring this dark world to its knees. So pr pretty cool. I mean, you sort of think when the story starts off and even when the, the offer is made that it's going to be this epic battle between Unger and Overkill, but Unger's smarter than that. Like I, he's a fantastic character, you know, obviously he's uh, paranoid and has some mental issues, right. That he, he thinks killing is the answer, but you, you sort of can't blame him. Um, you know, the, in a way the the black bag, um, shadier aspects of the government are, are what made Unger who he is. I mean, you almost think that it's all going to come back to Jason Wynn at some point. Like, and I don't even know if this pandemic shows up in any more issues with Spawn. I sure hope he does. Cause he's a, he's a fascinating character. And like I said, I love the armor. I love the look of him. Um, I mean, he looked cool enough before when he was just all ripped, you know, from working out all the time, what else did he have to do? Um, but just a really cool story. I love the, the aspect of how unexpected it is. You know, Unger totally flips the script on the people. Uh, again, I, I question if he was that dangerous that you had to build him his own prison, UL-21. Why would you send him after overkill, over war? Why? It, it doesn't make any sense. And sure enough, he does turn the table. So I just thought it was fantastic. And again, just like last issue, the detail in the art, like I was saying at the top with Clayton Crane giving us his pencils instead of um, his paint. It's like, I want more of this. I, don't get me wrong. I love the airbrush style, the slickness, the beauty, uh, especially the colors of when we get the, the airbrush style from, uh, from Clayton Crane. But this is stunning. Like, again, I don't know that I'd seen his pencils before, like just the detail uh, how often he, he does close-ups, he zooms in on eyes a lot, and we see reflections, uh, the anatomy, the, the storytelling transitions from panel to panel. Uh, again, these flashback pages where everything is in a kind of a, a red filter, just fantastic. I, I just thought this was so good. Um, so again, even though it's not the regular Spawn series, after checking out Batman Spawn, and for the reasons that I mentioned about how important it was um, in terms of we didn't know why Spawn's face was split in half, even though we kind of thought, okay, well, you know, he got, he did get shot in the forehead. Um, but between that and then how good this is, I'm like, why, why don't I want to cover more of this? You know, I, we're still going to get to the end and you're more than welcome to skip over, you know, the non-Spawn stuff if you want. 
I'm still going to try to do a spawn, uh, you know, regular spawn series issue every day. Like I said, there may be days where I don't when I've got to cover like, cause some of, some of the stuff, like, let's say it's, um, let's say it's a story arc of Sam and Twitch and it's six issues, right? I've got to read all six issues. I've got to remove all the words <laughs> from six issues. That That's going to take a lot of time. I mean, I have time to have to do a spawn issue also. And I'm also always going to do just one issue per episode when it's the actual spawn series. This other stuff I can consolidate like this one, and it can be kind of two issues in one. Plus the other thing about this art, both Dwayne Turner in uh, Curse of Spawn 23 and uh, Clayton Crane in Curse of Spawn 24 is the panels are a little bigger than you would normally see kind of like McFarlane. I mean, that's generally true with, with, Todd, to a lesser extent, Greg Capullo. Uh, but when you have this much detail, you're going you're gonna to go with bigger panels to, to show some of that detail off. And so I think a lot of these um, other miniseries and whatnot, it's, uh, they'll, go, they'll, they'll be a little bit of a quicker read. At least that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> so I keep my sanity. Uh, but anyway, I, I loved these. I thought these were great. And uh, Curse of Spawn is available on Comixology, so you can go and get it there. And uh, again, like the the um, the reading order that Brad Whitlow put together, Bradley Whitlow put together, or Blake, sorry, Blake Whitlow. <laughs> I don't know why I always want to call him Bradley. Blake Whitlow. The, the reading order he put together is just it's so good. It's so good. It's not overly complicated. Again, there's a link in the show notes to the Google Doc if you want to see what's coming up next. So I'm gonna, like I said, backfill and hopefully cover all of the uh, non main spawn series stuff that goes before issue 50 and then i will resume the regular uh, spawn episodes with 50 and then we'll go from there and we'll we'll see how it goes and if if you guys hate this and you're, you're like no i don't care about any curse of spawn or any angela or violator or salmon twitch or any of that stuff i don't care if parts of the story don't make sense um I just want the main spawn series, then tell me, tell me, and I, maybe I won't do this. Maybe I'll do this as a, a side project later on or something like that, or I'll just read them for myself so that I have the context that they, they bring. So again, let me know what you think if you hate this idea, but the schedule I have should still have everything done. The main spawn series should still be done by the end of the year, up, up to uh, 317 or 318, I think it is. Um, which is right before Spawn Universe. Uh, Spawn Universe will be the last thing that we talk about on uh, New Year's Eve, um, unless I get even further ahead and uh, we cover more stuff. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But anyway, these are so, so worth your time. They, the art is fantastic. I thought the stories in both were great. I don't even know that if I could choose one over the other as being really cool because the, the one with the... the Overt Kill's brother, this Dr. Hessman, that, that was tragic. Yeah, he was um, a bad guy. He, he he turned his brother into the ultimate killing machine, but his brother was dead. And, and he did, you know, it was explained really well about the context. You could understand having lost his mother to a drunk driver. That's a tragedy. His, he watches his dad waste away from ALS. And he's a doctor and a roboticist. And he, he, he has the knowledge to save him, but the technology is not there yet. You can completely understand he's a sympathetic character. And then he finally gets his brother back, you know, 
resurrects him for the second time and his brother reaches out and pops his head like a water balloon, like brutal, brutal stuff, uh, brutal stuff. So uh, the other aspect of this that I said I would mention is, so the next time that we see Overkill, I think it's like around issue 23 or 24, like I said, he's in, um, he's in a laboratory in New York and he's being rebuilt by the scientist that Vito Gravano had uh had hired and he was he was in pretty good shape he wasn't blown to bits like he was at the end of issue seven or like we saw in curse of the spawn 23 when his when dr hessman his brother's crawling around on his hands and knees in the alley picking up every little bit of him right i didn't think that much of it at the time that he had been rebuilt by gravano's guy um how that you know, just figure, well, off, off panel, must have taken a long time to rebuild them. But this is the last time we see over war, over kill, whatever. Uh, and then he shows up over there. So what I'm postulating, what I'm thinking, the way I'm making it make sense in my head is, okay, so Unger, you know, tricks over kill into going and destroying the prison that he had been uh, imprisoned in, UL-21. And in the process of destroying this prison, you know, that we know there's a lot of the government um, military forces around, maybe parts of part of the prison collapses on them, maybe um, some armed forces show up or what have you. But in some way, while destroying this prison, L, uh, UL-21, overkill is damaged, damaged to the point that he can be, that he's deactivated. He's, he's not turned on. Uh, he's not conscious. He's not aware, whatever you want to say it. Uh, he's damaged some. And at that point, that's when Gravano gets a hold of him somehow. Maybe Gravano has contacts in the, in the military or what have you. And he finds out, hey, this guy that you had hired, Overkill, uh, he's been put back together, um, but he is damaged somewhat. And he's being you know, stored here or wherever. And that's where Gravano gets him with and then takes him to his scientist. And his, his scientist can repair him because he's not damaged to the point that he was damaged when spawn blew him all to hell and there was practically nothing left that makes a lot of sense when you think of it like that because the way that overkill looked at the end of issue seven and then the way he looks when he shows up with gravano scientists and gravano's just a mob guy you know he shouldn't have access to like state-of-the-art technology or what have you but maybe he could repair him from you know more minor damage that overkill might have sustained while destroying this prison or when the, the armed forces come to attack him because he destroyed this prison. So that's the way I'm making it make sense in my head. If you know differently, please reach out. Let me know. I'd be really curious, but I kind of like it. I like that we got overkill's origin. I loved meeting this new guy, Pandemic. I think it makes sense what I just explained about the timeline for overkill. And at the end of the day, these two issues are worth it just for the art, just for the pencil work of these two incredible artists, Dwayne Turner and Clayton Crane. So anyway, that's going to do it for the episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Let me know either in the, the comments or on social media or whatever. Uh, if you hate this idea of me covering more of the tangential stuff for Spawn uh, in this to celebrate this 30th anniversary of him. So uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. As always, we couldn't do it without you. Wouldn't do it if you weren't there listening. So uh, keep listening. Thanks for joining. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. 
Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.